0: of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts always be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated, friends. So one of my favorite things to read in newspapers and magazines are like the advice columns, right? That's like I'm always ready to go read those articles. I really think that I must like them so much because I often have the answers myself. <laughs> and about three quarters of the time, I insist that the answer is just have a conversation. Talk to the person, talk to the sibling, talk to your mother, talk to your boss, it's going to be okay. Have a conversation. And I think I like knowing that because, you know, it's fun to know things, right? And. I think that there's a great joy in being the person who is so expert. Um, so we can get so into our problems and to thinking about things and to the like quandary of it all that we forget the simple utility of just having a conversation. So one of the things that I like most about this passage from John's Gospel is that both Nicodemus and Jesus were actually willing to have that conversation. Neither was writing into an advice column. They just went straight at it. And the gospel writer, John, is willing to write it all out so that we can see the way that things unfold and come to a new understanding in this back and forth between these two people. And I want to spend some time this morning going carefully through this conversation because there is a value in how it unfolds. And we are hugely tempted, all of us, to rush at that well-beloved verse at the end of this passage about God so loving this world, when really we need this whole conversation behind it to understand what it means for God to love this world. So this conversation begins in an interesting way, because Jesus and Nicodemus are both willing to have it at all. I can imagine it's not easy for them to have this talk and to exchange ideas, Nicodemus, of course, is a Pharisee, a sect in Judaism in Jesus' time that anyone who's read the Gospels, even a little, sees often in opposition to Jesus. The problem is, why they're so opposed to Jesus is that the Pharisees had a very different vision about what closeness to God meant and about Jesus, right? And about Jesus being God, it's not what they've been taught. It's not what they've learned. So Jesus himself is very challenging to them because he's not what they think of when they think of God, not what they think of when they think of Messiah, and not what they think of when they think of salvation. So they're constantly questioning Jesus and provoking Jesus, and they want him to be wrong because, well, it will mean that they are right. We don't like things and people that call our whole worldview into question, right? Neither do the Pharisees. So then we have Nicodemus, who's a leader, and he comes to Jesus at night. Particularly since we're reading John's Gospel, we know that it begins with that part that's called the prologue. So this coming at night is important because of the part in the prologue that's all about light. That part goes, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. What has come into being in him was life, and that life was the light of all the people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. So we have this contrast. Nicodemus, who comes by night, and Jesus, the light of all the people, who shines in the darkness. John is not a subtle gospel writer, right? And so even though Nicodemus is coming by night, we might perhaps wonder, is he drawn towards the light of Jesus? When he approaches Jesus, he says, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you have done apart from the presence of God. There are a couple things to notice here. First, Nicodemus uses the respectful term rabbi, teacher, which indicates that he's taking seriously Jesus' religious authority. He's seen him do these signs. He believes something is happening here. And secondly, Nicodemus is genuine. He's not trying to set a trap, as we've seen in other gospel encounters with Pharisees. Nicodemus really does want to understand, how can Jesus have the presence of God, yet not following the conventions that his religion has set forth? We can understand this feeling, right? It's like I come to church every week and I signed up for three Lenten practices and I've been so good and I've signed on all the late night prayer exams with Mother Kimberly. And I've been reading those daily email reflections and I have been abstaining from gossip for seven whole days, 12 whole days, you know, right? And yet I still get it. I'm feeling far from God and it is so not fair. Okay, maybe that's not you, but I'm willing to bet you felt something like this in your life somewhere at some point. Maybe it's like you're following all the rules of the game, and yet someone else who seems to get it all by luck without even knowing what game we're really playing. This is where Nicodemus is. Jesus must be in the presence of God, but how? How? Nicodemus doesn't understand Jesus, but he is curious about him. So Jesus answers him. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Curious answer. Here is where this unfolding of a new thing starts to happen in this conversation. We are all understanding Nicodemus and his approach to Jesus and those feelings he might be having. But when Jesus enters this conversation... We have to be in a place to kind of let it get revealed in the course of the exchange. We might not understand this first thing, but we might understand it all together. No one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Biblical scholars of John's gospel would tell us it's important to understand how John's theology works. And it works kind of like this. Reality as we know it. Here we all are. This reality as we know it is actually a two-story building. On the first story of this building is the world here. It's a sphere of hate, darkness, falseness, slavery, scarcity, a world where God is only partly seen. Up above, we've got our second story, all right. The upper story is heaven, centered around God, a sphere of life, light, truth, freedom, and abundance. And God reveals the possibility of being in this second story of heaven through Jesus. So here we have this two-story building of reality where Jesus is saying, I have come from above, down into this world. Now, I don't know how much of this two-story building theology Nicodemus had learned in Pharisee school, but he is very confused. And we might be confused too, but remember, we're listening to the unfolding, right? So Nicodemus asks, wait, wait, wait. How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus is getting very literal, right? He's trying to understand in his ideas to get literal. He needs more from Jesus, and I think generally we are right with him. If we want that thing that Nicodemus wants, that presence of God, We have been, and and that's what we've all been kind of wanting during this Lenten season of repenting and returning to God. That's what we're wanting, right? If we want that, and we need to be born from above, can we enter a second time into our mother's womb? Jesus needs to explain to Nicodemus and all of us that we can't take this literally. And there's some more confusion in the Greek of John's gospel than there is even for us. The word from above that Jesus uses is the same word as anew or again. So Jesus is saying you must be born anew, you must be born again, you must be born from above. And, that's, and Nicodemus is kind of taking only one of those meanings. Nicodemus is just as confused about what kind of anew and again and above birth it is that Jesus is talking about. So Jesus is trying to get us all a little less literal and has to do some loosening of our imaginations and our spiritual sides. So let's let this conversation unfold and look for some revelation. Jesus answers us all. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of the water and spirit. What's born of the flesh is flesh. What's born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I say to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses. You hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. What's helpful about this answer is that there's no way we can get too literal about it. It's not easy to understand, and I think that's on purpose. Jesus is reminding us this isn't something we can just use our intellect to figure out. Jesus is telling us that wind blows where it chooses. You hear the sound of it. We don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. This is not only an intellectual journey, Jesus is telling us, right? We aren't going to understand the wind. We might experience it, right? We might hear it. But that doesn't mean that we have intellectual comprehension of it. So Jesus is confusing all of us further and letting us know this isn't going to be something we're going to suddenly get in our minds. And Nicodemus says to Jesus, how can these things be? Right. And that's maybe where all of you are in this sermon with me. Right. How can this be? And Jesus reminds Nicodemus of his status. You're a teacher of Israel. Right. And you can't understand these things. And maybe for us, Jesus would say to us, aren't you 21st century people who can access all the world's information on the internet in a small device that slides into your pocket and you have two centuries of theology and church teaching and faithful saints to explain this 2,000 years ago and you still don't understand these things? How do you not all get it? So when we hear Jesus go on, let's hold in our mind this two-story theology that John has for understanding reality. Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we've seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpents in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And then we reach that culmination of the unfolding in perhaps the best-loved and most-known line of Scripture in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Right? As this conversation happens, we have to remember we're starting with Nicodemus in darkness in the world, curious about Jesus and wanting that closeness with God and willing to engage in a conversation that really calls into question his whole worldview. And we end with the notion that God loves the world so much that he gave his only son so that we may all have eternal life. Here's the thing, by the end, in faith in Jesus, we can all be born from above and have eternal life in that second story. Those who believe in Jesus will inherit that <coughs> eternal life, as long as, but as long as we continue to live in this world, we will also be living in that colony of heaven. We'll experience those qualities associated with heaven, such as love, life, truth, freedom, and abundance. Even as we continue to experience the conflict within the world, At death, we follow Jesus from the world into heaven. This is the amazing and something new that only emerges in this conversation. What's most startling to me, thinking about how this two-story version of reality functions, is that God loves the world. Given John's worldview, this perspective is stunning. The attitudes and behaviors of the world are hostile to God. Yet... God loves the world. We might think that God should be angry with the world and punish it, but God loves the world. It's no wonder then that this line of scripture is so beloved because it offers us something that seems impossible. For us, as people of the world, people used to conflict, oppression, hate, war, and just everyday difficulty, the idea that God could love this world is radical loves it so much that he sends Jesus, his son, the light to offer us this eternal life in the second story. Life lived from above, even while we still remain in the world for now. Faith in Jesus unfolds for us the opportunity to be above now. Not tomorrow, not in the world beyond, but now. The idea that our faith in Jesus is now means that we can be a part of the kingdom of God means that we can share in that love, that life, that truth, that freedom and abundance that we do in that realm above because God loves the world so much. When it comes to being born from above, it's about our faith, not our intellectual knowledge or our previous status, only our faith. God loves this world, and though we don't know where the wind is going or where it came from, we can hear the wind. We can experience it. Like the conversational nature of this passage, there is an unfolding, a revealing, of being willing to share ourselves and to listen. And then there's just a chance to hear and experience that God loves the world. Amen.